0: It is our hope that God calls all of us friend. Amen. And we want to see God call more people into a relationship with Him. If you have your Bibles ready, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today and let's talk about the lessons from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite Old Testament books in the entire Bible. It just has a lot of practical, practical teachings in it that I like. I'm kind of that way. I like to be able to take what I learn and apply it to my life. See how I can really get better at life. Uh, don't always do as good as I want, but um, that's the way it is, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Find verse 24 with me, if you please. It says that a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth, to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. I thank you for every person that's here today, Lord. And I pray for you to to speak to their hearts and speak to mine too as well, Lord. I'm here worshiping you, and uh, I want to hear from you as well. Father, I want to be called your friend. I want everyone here to be called your friend. I want more and more people to come to know what it means to be a friend of God, that you would call us your friends and that You would love us so much that You'd send Your own Son to this world to take our punishment and our, our suffering on Himself. We thank You for that, Lord, that wonderful gift, that gift of knowing You, that gift of being in a relationship with You, that gift of salvation. Lord. We pray we see more of that happening uh, every day and every week. Father, as we go through Your Word this morning, I pray for You to speak and guide and direct each and every one of us. And guide my thoughts and words as I speak, and try to teach from Your Word. I pray, Father, You would use me for Your glory and that the people would hear Your voice speaking through me and and through Your Scriptures and that Your Spirit would move each and every one of us, Lord, closer to You. Father, thank You for the privilege and the honor of being called uh, Your servant in this way that I can share Your Word. And I thank You for the songs we sang. I thank You for the video that we watched that that reminds us, Father, of how much You love us and, and how important it is for us to know You. Father, we pray for all of this and for Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. There's all kinds of views of the Bible today. All kinds of views. People have different opinions about the Bible and what it means and what it says and what it's for. Lots of people have different ideas about the Bible. People, uh, people study the Bible for various reasons. Not of all just to know God, but just to study it. Some people say the Bible promotes a philosophy that simplifies life's most difficult problems, its most troubling issues. It tries to simplify everything down. This is what people really Do you think the Bible does? That it gives easy answers to life's most difficult questions. That God is standing by to fix our every problem and meet our every need as if he was our bellboy at a hotel, right? And if he doesn't do that, well, you just didn't have enough faith. That's what a lot of people will say. But the Bible's primary message, its primary purpose is the revelation of Almighty God. It reveals God to us in who he is, in his character, his nature, his plans, his desire for us. He has this great desire for you. Did you know that? That's why Jesus said, you are my friends. I call you my friends. And and while the Bible deals with many aspects that are spiritual in nature uh, and are more otherworldly, the Bible actually has a lot of practical things to say about living in this world things that we can take and apply to our lives and begin to experience blessings from in this world, this world that we live in today that's very fallen and and very oppressive at times, a world that often disappoints us. Has anybody ever been disappointed in life? I think we could all say yes. We've all had disappointments in life that overwhelms us. Oftentimes life, something happens in our lives overwhelms us, right? An illness, a disease, the death of a loved one. And misery. There's a lot of misery in the world today. I don't think many of us here in America really understand truly what misery is. Think about that misery. It's a very extreme word. We don't want to ever go near it, do we? Think about the misery of the grandfather who dropped his granddaughter out that window on the cruise ship just about a month or so ago. She fell 11 stories down to her death. His own granddaughter, he He didn't know the glass wasn't there. He didn't know the window was open. And he was just holding her up to look out the window, and he dropped her. Think of the misery in that. Think of the misery of Kayla Mueller and her family. You know who Kayla Mueller was? Kayla Mueller was a um, refugee and uh, an aid worker in Syria during the Syrian war. She was captured a year or two ago by ISIS. And they they tortured her. They raped her. uh, They kept her prisoner. Eventually, she died. In captivity. Did you know that some of her captors actually took her out and went to other captives and said, Look, this is Kayla. She's renounced Christ. She's now a Muslim. And she would stand there and say, No, I haven't. She wouldn't give up her faith in Jesus for anything. That's what misery really is. And her family is still suffering her loss. For most of us, life is kind of mundane. Isn't that true? Right? Amen. Kind of mundane. Every day is like the day before. Every day is just kind of I get up, I go to work, I go home. Every day I get up, I do this, I do that, I'm, I go to bed. How do we deal with life like that? Life is kind of mundane. Kind of loses its meaning in some ways. Where can we find a sense of satisfaction? How do we meet the, how do we meet the needs of the, both the body and the spirit? Because we're both, we're that way. We're, we have a dual nature just like Jesus. We, we're, we are spiritual and yet we are flesh and body. How do we meet the needs of spirit, mind, and spirit, and body? I believe the answer to all those questions I've just asked is found in a relationship with God. A personal relationship with God that is vibrant and alive is something that we have to seek on our own, and together as well. We have to really push out on our own and seek this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, listen to what Jesus said. He said, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus said, look, get your life in priority. Make your priorities right. Make sure you get your life in line with God. Yeah, you need to eat. You need clothes to wear. You need a place to live. You need to have health care. You need to have all these things. But first seek God. And God will take care of these things. You'll, be, you'll get taken care of. Things will come together. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. The book Ecclesiastes is often ignored because it begins with the author kind of crying in many ways. He begins this book by saying, meaningless, meaningless. There's nothing in life that has meaning. Kind of crying about his life. Kind of down and discouraged. You ever? I get that way. He's asking, I get that way. I get down and I I struggle to figure out what's going on. My life is meaningless. And she just kind of laughs at me and makes fun of me and gets me going again. You know, maybe that's what he needed. I don't know. But the purpose of Ecclesiastes, really, if you read it all the way through it, if you pay attention to what the writer says, it's to turn us away from the troubles of this life, the discouragements and the things that really bring us down, and to refocus us on our relationship with God. Because that's where we're going to find our meaning in life. We're not going to find our meaning in life in, 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 uh, in, in, in trying to get rich on Wall Street or, or, or you know doing something like that or, or putting all of our energy into something of this world. We're going to find our meaning and purpose in our relationship with God. And then he'll add to us the things that we need to live. And he'll add to our lives what brings us some more joy, more happiness, and he'll be the author of those things. To, that, to do that to really focus on God, to really put our relationship with Him as a priority, we have to understand what life is. So if you have your outline on the back, get ready. Number one, I want to ask this question of you. I want us to think about this. What is life? Ecclesiastes answers this question. It really does. The Bible does elsewhere as well, but Ecclesiastes really zeroes in on this. What is life? When God created Adam and Eve, if you go read it, doesn't say everything about it, but you kind of get the implication of it. They lived in the Garden of Eden. It tells us that. It was enjoyable. It doesn't say that exactly, but you can kind of get the impression from Genesis chapter 1 that it was a very enjoyable place. It was a great life. They had peace. They had abundance. They wanted to eat something. All they had to do was go pick and eat it. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be great? All you had to do to have a meal was go to a tree or a bush and pick what you needed to eat and take and eat it. They didn't have any enemies. They didn't have any crime. They didn't have streetlights or seatbelt laws or any of those kind of things. Nothing. They just they had a good life. But then they sinned. Then they sinned, and part of their punishment was that life became hard. So if you want to know who to blame, well, you really can't blame Adam and Eve because they're long gone. See, our problems are our problems, right? That's right. But it all began there. Life became hard. In Genesis 3, verse 16, God told Eve, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. That verse, by the way, implies that she was going to have children anyway. Before sin ever was entered into the world, before they ever fell in sin, she was going to have children. And God says, I am going to greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Pain you'll give birth to children. And ladies, if you've ever given carried a child, You know exactly what that means. Not just the act of giving birth, which could take a day or two, but just the act of carrying a child, loving that child, maybe losing that child in in childbirth or losing that child as a miscarriage or whatever. A lot of pain there, isn't there? Genesis 3, verse 17, God told Adam... Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. I grew up on a dairy farm. 70 cows, 70, 80 cows a day. Twice a day we milk those cows. Seven days a week. Where we did anything else, we milked those cows. Baled hay. Cut corn. All that stuff. Fed calves. Winter. Summer, spring, and fall, every day. Somebody had to do it. It's hard work. Before that, Adam didn't have to work hard. All he had to do was go and gather. Everything was taken care of. Everyone, Every need was met. And when they sinned, when Adam sinned, God said, you're going to have to work really hard from now on. And here you and I are. Here we are generations later living in a world that in some ways is easier, right? Anybody want to push a push cart to Colorado? To settle Colorado to be a miner and Col- not me, but people did it right. Wode, they rode wagons all the way to California. You know, I don't want to do that either. Some days, some day, in some many ways, life today is much easier. But in other ways, it's still hard. We still have what disease? We Still have cancer? We still have all these diseases? We still have poverty. In all the wealth in America, America is a very wealthy country. And yet in all of the wealth that we have, we still have poor people. We struggle to get by. We still have crime. We still have criminals. Even technology has failed to make life really easier. Actually, in many ways, technology has made life harder. You know? There's lots of things that I love about a cell phone. You know, I love cell phones. I mean, I can't remember. We went we went all the way to South Dakota in the 90s. I don't think we had a cell phone. If we did, it was a pretty basic cell phone back then. I can remember my whole life not having a cell phone. And if I broke down on the road, I had to hope somebody would help me out. Give me a ride, help me fix my tire, or whatever. But if you have a cell phone and and an insurance plan, guess what? Help is right there. I like that. But you know that cell phone's with you everywhere you go. Unless you leave it at home or forget it the way I do. But um, life is not really, we just have life in a, in a different way. A harder, our, our life is harder in other ways. Look again at verse 24. Look what it says. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. You know, this is a really amazing verse. A man, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, I see, is from the hand of God. What the writer is saying here is very simple. He's saying learn to enjoy life. We have to learn to enjoy life. Problem is we have these expectations, right? And they kind of get in our way. But we have to learn to enjoy life. The old saying, stop and smell the roses. Remember that one? Yeah? We're too busy. We really are. I'm so busy I want to drive 50 miles down 23rd Street just to get off 23rd Street. Because I don't like 23rd Street because of the craziness there. But we got to learn to stop and smell the roses. We shouldn't get so busy that we don't take time, sometime every day, to enjoy something. Whatever that is. Something, something and it doesn't have to be great. It might just be a wonderful, nice cup of coffee. Or the company of your loved one. Or your favorite TV show. Or the weather outside, working in your yard. Or hanging out with friends somewhere, doing something. Something doesn't have to take all day. Just a few minutes every day we need to find something to enjoy. This too I see is from the hand of God. Yeah, we need to ask that from God. God, today I'm getting up in the morning. God, today I'm starting out my day. Would you just give me a few minutes of something to really enjoy? Something I can really say thank you for? And it can be just so simple. How do we do that though, you know? How do we do that? How do we really do that besides praying about it? By not living for the wrong things. I think that's one way. Stop living for the wrong things. Some people live to work or to party or to act out in destructive ways or they become apath- apathetic. Just don't care. we got to start caring more, I think, about ourselves and about our families and about our friends and neighbors. Others become full of self-pity and bitterness, anger and jealousy. That's not the life God intended for us. Neither one of those are. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, John wrote this. He said, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I like that verse too, don't you? That's the life God wants us to have. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. He wants us to have good health. He wants our souls to get along well in life. How does that happen? It only happens through a relationship with God. It's the only way. And our world is running away from this as fast as it can. Our world runs away from this relationship with God. Life can be defined in several different ways. First of all, life is biological it's flesh and blood, bones, skin. Our hearts, they pump blood through our entire body constantly, all the time, pumping blood through us right now. Our muscles move so I can wave my hands and talk. Our brains work so we talk about our thoughts and what we're thinking about it, and we formulate ideas. Bones move, muscles move, we walk. Life is also spiritual, though. And this kind of life is found in a relationship with God. He speaks, and we respond to Him. And He does speak, friends. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God doesn't speak. He speaks in different ways, in different means, but He speaks, and we can hear Him. We can know Him. So He speaks and we respond to Him. He blesses and we praise Him. He gives us the ability to enjoy the life that He gives us every day. That's a blessing from Him. And then there is eternal life. Life is eternal. Not this life, but the one to come. And this is the life we should be striving for. Who wants to live in a fallen world like this, right? As good as this life is at most times, who wants to live in a fallen world where you... Have aches and pains where you get sick, where you get hurt, where where things don't work out the way you want. Who wants to live in a fallen world like this forever? Not me. Not me. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4. Listen to what Paul said. He said, For while we are in this tent, this body of flesh and blood and bone, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. See, We live in this world right now, and we see ourselves, we touch ourselves. But we're really unclothed. We're not living in our eternal body yet. We long for it. We want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. See, we really want life, don't we? We really want that life back in the garden. We want that life in paradise. We want that life with God. And that's what God wants for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guarantee what is to come. God made us for this very purpose to know Him, to be with Him, to have eternal life with Him. That's what He made us for. Not this world. Not this life. When God creates a person, He makes them in His image. Even the Down syndrome baby is made in the image of God in some way. Yeah. It doesn't matter they're Skin color doesn't matter whether they have hair or not, doesn't matter their economic circumstances, doesn't matter the family they come from. God made that person, and He made that person in His image. Each and every one of us. Look how different we are. And He gives each person value. God values everybody that He makes. That's something we don't always do that, but He does. And then when Jesus saves somebody, He sends the Holy Spirit to live in them, not just with them, but in them, in us, to help them begin to live a whole new life. A life with God in this world. You see, all of us need help with life. Isn't that true? Can you say amen to that? We all need help. Yeah, we all need help with life. Point number two, let me ask you this question. What guides your life? What guides your life? Look at verse 25. For without Him, meaning God, for without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Hmm. Many people believe the writer Ecclesiastes was Solomon, and I do. I believe it was Solomon. Solomon tried to live his life without God. Go over to Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. Look at look at what he says. He's crying here a little bit. He says, "The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem." That's why I believe it's Solomon, because Solomon was the son of David. He was king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Utterly, completely meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full. To the place the streams come, there they return again. All things are wearisome; more than one can say. Man, if I wasn't a Baptist, I'd tell him, have a drink. You know, (laughs) I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't laugh about that. But it's sad. And yet, I've kind of been there myself a little bit occasionally. I've kind of cried on my own shoulder a few times about life. Um, Solomon was probably the richest man in the whole world. I mean, he built a palace and a temple to God and and overlaid almost everything in gold. He was the most powerful man of his day. He was also the most married man ever. Ever. 1 Kings 11.3 says that Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth. Dang. 700 wives. And 300 concubines. Now if you ever wonder what a concubine is, just think girlfriend. He had a girlfriend. 300 girlfriends. He was a perpetual teenager. He's high school for his whole life. 300 girlfriends, 700 wives. He didn't deny himself anything. If he wanted something or anyone, he always got what he wanted. I know people like that. That kind of living leads to dissipation. You know what dissipation is? Dissipation is the throwing away of something of great value. He was throwing away his very life, trying to find meaning in his life through all these wives and all these girlfriends and all the money he could store up and get from people, and and just having things. If he wanted anything, he got it. Dissipation as a lifestyle is meaningless. It's joyless. It's unfulfilling. And yet we all know people like that on a smaller scale than Solomon. Eventually Solomon realized everything without God is nothing. Isn't that true? Everything, if you can, if you're the richest person in the world, everything without God is nothing. I like to read biographies of people just to understand what their lives are like, and I've read a lot on um, movie actors. John Wayne. If you read John Wayne's life story, he wasn't a very happy life. Here's his hero of the screen. Had a horrible life, really, but it was all his own fault. I mean, he was married like three or four times and his marriage always ended up bad and he drank oh, excessively drank a tremendous amount of alcohol and he wasn't happy went broke several times think of howard hughes anybody know who howard hughes was billionaire he was a recluse he was a solitary man didn't trust people was paranoid died alone died a horrible death i mean A lonely death, a sickly death, died very slowly. Everything without God is nothing. Everything without God is absolutely nothing. We need God. We were created to live for God and to live with God. But you know, you might not be Howard Hughes or John Wayne or someone like that. And what if, for you, what if life hasn't been good? What do you do? Maybe you've had some struggles in life, for different things, or maybe your life was good for a while, but until recently, maybe something happened. You believe in God. You believe He's a goodness. He is good. You trust in Jesus Christ, but life hasn't turned out quite the way you thought it would or wanted it to. What do you do then? Don't turn to Solomon. Not yet, anyway. Turn to Solomon later in Ecclesiastes. But turn to David. David went through life's ups and downs, struggles, failures. He failed God, loved God with all his heart, and he failed God terribly. In Psalm 27, verse 14, David was going through a very terrible time in his life. He wrote this, a very difficult time in his life. He said, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, wait for the Lord. If you belong to God, if you're one of God's people, if if he calls you his friend, you belong to him. And so what do you do? You wait for the Lord. In those difficult times, sometimes God will leave us in difficult circumstances to keep us out of a worse circumstance. Have you ever thought of that? We tend to want to jump, don't we? Quickly, things turn bad, so let me jump. I'll go do this, I'll do that. I'm not going to do this no more, I'll do something else. Well, when we jump without thinking, we can jump into a worse circumstance. Sometimes God keeps us in a circumstance we don't particularly like, or uncomfortable, or a struggle and to keep us out of a worse circumstance. Sometimes when life is out of our control, God is teaching us to wait on Him to do something for us instead of us doing for ourselves. Sometimes God is saying, hey, I've got something I'm going to unfold for you. I've got this plan for you, but you've got to wait for me to unfold it. You've got to give me some time here. We don't like that though, do we? We want God to jump. We want God to, right now God, I need it. And God says, no, wait. Wait for it because it's going to be really good if you'll just simply wait. And if we wait on Him, He won't disappoint us. He'll give us what we cannot achieve on our own. He really will. So, point number three, what do you do with the life God gives you? What do you do with the life God gives us every day as we wait or as we go through a difficult circumstance? Look at the beginning of verse 26. To the man who pleases Him, God gives wisdom Knowledge and happiness. Just give me an amen if that sounds good to you. Amen. Yeah. To the man who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Pleasing God is our greatest duty in life. It's our greatest duty. We just don't think about it that way. How do we do that? We trust Him. It all boils down to trust, to faith. We have to trust God. We have to trust God. We trust Him to work on the things that we can't do, the things we can't work out, things that we can't manage. What pleases God more than anything else is our having faith in Him. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy or careless. The Bible tells us to work, right? So it's not like you say, well, I'm just going to quit my job, stay home, and God's going to send me the food and for the money that I need to pay my bills. That's not what I'm talking about here. Don't be lazy. Don't be careless. The Bible tells us to work so that we can provide for ourselves and families. The Bible tells us to store something up for tomorrow, to put it away for tomorrow for when we have that need that comes down the road. And the Bible tells us to live our lives so that we please God. And all of that takes faith. All of it takes faith. Look at the next part of verse 26. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand over Hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. To the sinner, God also works in that person's life. The sinner. He's there working. Solomon tells us that God works in a person's life whether they have faith in him or not. So I want to be that person of faith who God blesses. Okay? I don't want to be the sinner who gathers and gathers and gathers and then it all. Is taken away in a sense of you work and work and work for really nothing. People work their whole lives to build up wealth, to stockpile money, to have possessions in their garage, in their sheds, in storage, storage sheds. And God lets them do all of that. I have a brother. He has a sticker on his car. He used to say, he who dies with the most toys wins. I told him, hey, you know what? He who dies with the most toys dies that's the truth but I mean he has several storage sheds full of stuff he's got he likes motor cars. he likes classic cars I don't blame him there but I mean he's got like five or six all of them are, are only half built so how many half-built cars can you really have right that's kind of like mm, I can't be too hard on because I've got a half-built car myself but the uh, reason why is because I have other priorities And God lets these people build this stuff up, stockpile, stockpile. But they can't avoid death like any of us. They they still have to deal with that as well. They're going to leave this world just like you and I will. And then someone else will enjoy the things they worked hard for. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, don't do that. He said this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. John chapter 6, verse 27. Don't work for the things that are going to burn up someday or rust away or fall apart. Work for things that are eternal. Your relationship with God. Helping others into the kingdom so they can know that relationship with God as well. To let God use you. To let God bless you. You see, here's the point. God really is in control of your life. Whether you believe in Him or not, He's in control. And your life is not a series of random events. They really aren't. We think they are, but they aren't. God sees all. God knows all. God loves all, including the sinner, which is also you and me. We're sinners too. In John chapter 1, verse 4, John said this about Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. See, here's what we need. We need God's glorious light to shine in our life. So we know where to step as we follow him. We need that light. Because I know too many people out there who don't have it. And they just wander through life, making their own decisions and stepping in the darkness when they can walk in the light of God. You can be very smart. You can be highly educated. You can be able to understand events before they ever happen. But without Jesus Christ, you won't be able to live the life God wants you to live. The life He wants to give you. A life filled with the light of His very presence. So the question that comes to my mind, you know me, I'm always full of questions. I'm always asking things. Why wouldn't you want God in your life? Why wouldn't you? I mean, if He's that good, if He's that great, why wouldn't you want God to guide and direct your life? I mean, maybe you've messed it up. Maybe you've made a mistake. God will take care of that too if you give Him time. Why go through life alone? Why run away from God? Which is what a lot of people do when all he wants for us and for you is his very best, right? Amen. Our invitation song today is turn your eyes on Jesus. That will be, that's what we have to do. To have God in our life, we have to turn our eyes on Jesus. Ask him to be our Savior and Lord. Ask him to come into our lives, guide and direct us. And then he'll begin to overcome those difficult things that we kind of maybe piled up or maybe like.